0: The good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit have been doing two episodes a week um, for quite some time now, and it's all thanks to, first of all, Jason, and second of all, our patrons who allow us to add the space on our server, broadcast more, store more, share more with you listeners. I'm envious of those of you who have unlimited storage and media server capabilities we, we pay for ours here at, at the C4FAP. It ain't cheap. We thank you so much for those of you who go to patreon.com slash comics fun profit and contribute at any level to say thanks, to say I want to be a part of your Slack channel conversations. I want to get exclusives. I want to get Early access. I want to get ad free access. I want to get swag. I want to get some free stuff. Whatever your reasoning is, we appreciate it at any level because it does make a difference. So, from the bottom of Kyle and I and Jason's heart, thank you for contributing.
1: Aloha. This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing writer Melissa Flores. She is here to promote her new image um series, The Dead Lucky. It is part of the Radiant Black Massive Verse. Now, this also includes um not, and Melissa, correct me if I'm wrong at any time. It includes Rogue Sun, um, in um Infernal Girl Red. And I know that was a Kickstarter project, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a graphic background.
2: novel, and it's also coming out um in single issues. Yeah, but... next
1: next year. I, I think I saw yeah. that, yeah. Um, also, too, it's like also to Radiant Red, Radiant Pink is also part of this mass. Uh, this, uh, massive verse. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dead Lucky issue one and two are out in stores right now. Issue three comes out on October 3rd and issue four comes out on November 2nd. Melissa, welcome to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. How are you doing today?
2: I'm really, really well. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Thank you for I'm- having me. Oh, thank, I'm,
1: thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Now, listeners, um, I, I'm not going to go. I'm going to let Melissa talk about um, her her history um, in the entertainment business, and she has. And I'll just kind of go over. It. And I basically I told Melissa in the before we started recording to have her explain her roles and so forth. But so Melissa was a creative executive and development executive um um for like the hasbro or kind of like the hasbro power franchise You, you, you yeah yeah so
2: what i was was i was the for for saban brands first who are the company that um bought power rangers back from disney back in 2010 Mm -hmm. um i started as a coordinator and worked my way up to director and i was the director of development and production and then i became the director of power rangers development and production uh, mm-hmm. with them. And so all that really meant was um, I was a creative executive for the brand of Power Rangers. So if there was a story that had to be told, uh-huh. my team, the team that I was on, uh-huh. including my boss, Brian Castantini and Paul Strickland, who was uh, a coordinator and a man- and then a manager, we would um, basically help steer the productions of whatever Mm -hmm. they were whether it be um television feature films video games
3: Mm
2: -hmm. uh publishing like comic books Mm -hmm. and um live tours all that fun stuff we would help steer it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, make sure that one it was nothing broke canon "Quote unquote," yes. but mm-hmm. also that it was the best kind of story could be told for the audience that it was told, and we're basically focused more on older audiences mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like kid stuff
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, beyond the television series. And uh, then when Hasbro was or Hasbro bought Saban Brand or Power mm-hmm. Rangers from Saban Brands, I moved over there and for two years I was the director of Power Rangers development and production for them, mm-hmm. and then I became the director of storytelling. For them um and then till about 2022 2020 i believe yeah
1: nice now i'm also going to point out and melissa you already saw this because and i heard it from one of the interviews that you also did i guess like a a sort of a power rangers you helped with the development of a power rangers youtube series called the meower rangers is that correct? oh yeah
2: oh yeah i mean uh, that didn't come from that came from marketing marketing put together that initiative okay. but we absolutely you know because it was a project with the story we gave notes and helped develop it but it's amazing if you haven't seen me rangers I was actually talking to somebody about it today. It's, I I freaking love it. It's one of my favorite things we've ever done. It is so freaking funny. It is literally cats in Power Ranger costumes Mm -hmm. and we call them the Meow Rangers and it's just little silly sketches and Goldar is, or I'm sorry, um, Zordon is a goldfish and um, Rita is an Akita and Goldar is a golden retriever and it is amazing. It is so much fun and literally, I love that we're able to do that kind of really fun stuff.
1: I I saw I saw a little bit of it. I have to say it was cute. It was very cute. It really was.
2: Yeah, they actually did. Yeah, so they did initial five episodes issues and then our five episodes. Sorry, I am in comics land now. And then they did, um, I think, another five more with a different company. But they were still freaking hilarious. I loved it. So much fun.
1: And then also, too, I think I hear your little dog also giving a seal of approval. I hear them
2: barking in the background. Sorry about that. One of my no. friends, ha- I'm dog sitting one of my friend's <laughs> dogs in Chewy. And um, I have a dog and he's actually very, very, she's very quiet. But Chewy is a loud boy. No, and that- so you'll you'll hear some barking every once in a while because he really likes to bark. Chewy, come here.
1: No, actually, but like I said, man, Chewy gave his stamp of approval to the Niara <laughs> Rangers. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he's a he's <the> cheerleader. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. And also, too, now correct me if I'm wrong, you also were involved with the um 2017 Power Rangers movie. Is that correct?
2: I was, yeah. I was one of the executives that helped develop the Power Rangers movie. Yep. Nice. You know, yeah. and I you know, um
1: uh, and and before we started the the interview, I told Melissa I loved the, the 2017 Power Rangers movie. And I'm gonna say what I really loved about the movie was um I thought Elizabeth Banks was perfect as Rita Repulsive. I mean, she took the role seriously and and at the same time it looked like she was having fun with it.
2: Yeah. I she was great. Yeah. It was, was, it was she really just like got into the role. It was so funny. We were on set and um we were told like she's very method. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Like we, we didn't meet her. We met everybody else, but we yes. didn't meet Elizabeth Banks because Elizabeth Banks was in her, was it was method. And she's like, I'm not going to meet anybody. I'm Rita Repulsa. I'm evil.
3: <laughs> so, oh, that's nice.
2: So she oh, was my- lovely, but it was funny, like very professional, but she was very much like, you know, we did not mess with Rita Repulsa. <laughs> she was just doing the work. Oh my God. That
1: is so awesome to hear that she really got into the role. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, now, um, listeners, I'm going to let you know that I did get some of my information from um, from a podcast called The Radiant Black Podcast that mm-hmm. came out this year on June 27th. I also got, um, um, also, I listened to the YouTube podcast You Promised Me Comics, and that came out in August 11th of this year. And also um, from um, Melissa's website, um, um, she posted an article that she um that she did an interview with um i'm going to try to pronounce the the um website's name is i think Gizmo gizmodo ah,
3: yep. gizmodo yep. okay
1: and that article um the interview was written by um sabina graves and that was dated um may may 19th 2022 so if you guys get a chance please check out those other podcasts please track down um that um that the um, that written interview, you know, um for more information about Melissa. Um Melissa, I'm just gonna start off. Um where can listeners follow you on social media?
2: Uh I am both on uh, Instagram and Twitter at uh, misty underscore flores for both of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um I want to ask um where did you grow up?
2: Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. I have I've, I was born in Chicago, but my family moved here when I was two. So I don't mm-hmm. really know anywhere else. I've always been here, mm-hmm. uh, which is good for me. I enjoy it here. Yeah, uh, doing what I do, there wasn't much sense in moving. So
1: no, that's true. That yeah, that I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm going to ask off the cuff question and it has to relate to whether, how, oh, you know, um, is it still crazy hot over there?
2: no thank god there was a storm uh about three days ago and Mm -hmm. it's cooled down so now we're like about 85 degrees which is manageable it's not the 100 degrees that we were dealing with especially with little dogs i was happy that i cooled down i just took them for a walk and they didn't want to die on me which is good all
1: right and then i'm gonna so melissa since you've worked on the power rangers and you know for the franchise for 10 years what was your first exposure to the power rangers
2: uh, you know, I, uh, I was a little too old for Power Rangers, but I mean, I wasn't living under a rock. I knew what the Power Rangers were and I would like, I, I was really into, I think, like Saved by the Bell and those kind of shows at that yes. time. Um, but I knew what Power Rangers was. And I remember like watching an episode or two and thinking it was kind of fun to watch. Um yeah. I didn't really know a lot about it, honestly, until I started working for Power Rangers. And then once I did, I kind of fell in love with, with the Uh, brand and what it meant. It was, I kind of had a deep dive into um, the brand because there was 20 years of Power Rangers.
3: Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: And I had to learn it very, very quickly. And every year was a different team basically. And there were different cast members. And so Uh I had to really do a deep dive and watch all the episodes and just Uh really get to know. And once I did, I started to really fall in love with. Um, what Power Rangers meant and the kind of show that it was, and and how they really were just really great role models for kids, and mm-hmm. uh, and I just I love robots any day. I'm a yes. big fan, mm-hmm. so I had a lot of fun with that. Zords are my favorite thing ever, which I guess I can say with Get Lucky because I have now, <laughs> I have de- now I have a bunch of robots in Dead Lucky. So uh,
1: yes, that's right. Yes, off the cuff question, <clears throat> um, because I know. Because the American, because you know, as we as I talked before we did the interview, it's that you know, for Power Rangers, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's been going on for thirty years now, I think. Mm-hmm. But you know, but before it came to America, it was known in Japan as the as like the Super Sentai series,
2: and it's still going, yeah.
1: Yes, that's amazing. I'm just asking, were you able to watch any of the um, the older Japanese um, with English subtitle shows?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We worked really closely with Toei. So, um, Aye. so I, yeah, I was able to watch all of that stuff and it was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. I actually enjoy, um, I really enjoyed a couple of the Super Sentai seasons actually more than some of the Power Ranger seasons just because there it's a different vibe in Japan, in, in yes. Japan, obviously like they have different standards for kids. Um, they're catering to a little bit of a younger audience, but they're, le- they're, they're a little looser when it comes to violence. Mm-hmm and um and blood and all that fun stuff that we can't get away with when it comes to broadcasting standards so oddly enough it appeals to older fans <laughs> from yeah. here mm-hmm. uh so um so yeah it was fun like i really loved go I i love conjur i loved like a bunch of those different seasons they were fun mm-hmm. to watch and i enjoyed watching them every week
1: wow that's pretty cool um let's see now i'm gonna um ask you about comics what was what was your first comic that you read?
2: You know, I don't remember the first comic that I read, read, but at the first, the how I fell into comic books or how I actually started to first love comic books was Tom Taylor's run of Injustice. I had, I've always been a big video game nerd. I've loved video games, and growing up, um, I didn't have access to really comic books. I grew up with two girls, and you know, my uh, I have an immigrant dad who works very, very he worked very, very hard. He's retired now, um, and my mom actually worked all day too, and there wasn't like. Uh, an opportunity for me to really get comics I used to fall in love with the comics in the newspapers you know yes. I used to read the comics the funnies every Sunday and um, when I got older I, I still obviously got really into video games I would buy the deluxe editions of a lot of things because I wanted the statues but the deluxe edition of Injustice came not just with a statue but with a comic book mm-hmm. it was the first issue of Injustice And, um, and I read that and I'm like, wait, there's more to this story. I need to know what happens. And so I ended up finding the trades, Mm -hmm. the hardcovers, I think online, now that Mm -hmm. I know there's an omnibus, I'm going to be really upset unless I go get it. But, um, I ended up finding the trades and just like devouring those first two years. And um, Mm -hmm. I just loved what he did with the characters. And I loved the humanizing, for D- for me, a long time, D.C. felt very foreign because it was about these big gods. And I felt like Tom Taylor, the way he handled these personalities just made them so human, mm-hmm. so flawed, but in really interesting ways. And like that enduring human spirit that he always oh. talks about in his books oh. was just really fascinating for me. And um, and then later I got to actually work with him and that was really fun. So that's
3: nice.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, that is so nice. Now. You know, because I have to say I just love how you got how you fell in love with comics Mm
3: -hmm. you know
1: because um, you you started off on the ground floor with a series issue number one I I just think that's so awesome and then you just you just went forward with that you didn't have to go backwards and try to find out okay wait this is like part two of a five-part story and I gotta go dig but I, I just think it's so awesome you know, yeah.
2: yeah. I really enjoy that. I think it's, it's actually hard. It's, that's why I think it's been harder for me to get into a lot of Marvel and DC books because uh-huh. I feel like I only have half the story at any given time. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. um, and I want to, I want to get into them. um, But sometimes it's really hard because I'm just like, okay, what have I missed? So I really enjoy these like alt world event story stuff. Yes. I feel like you don't need, you know, a hundred plus years or 50 plus years of comic book history oh, to 100%. understand the story. um i'm really i I just i got the dc versus vampires and so i'm really into like reading that right now and Mm -hmm. um i haven't read uh, the under the dc DC, undead version or dc yeah Yeah, Yeah. i haven't read that yet but it's on my list Uh, but i really like those because i feel like okay you know all these characters you have fun with them but you don't need all the history to understand this one significant moment that's on this page turn
1: yes yes i i i understand i i really do Okay. So now how did you get started working in the entertainment industry?
2: Um I you know I thought I was going to be a doctor. I thought I was going to be an engineer or something like that. I went to mm-hmm. a school called the California Academy of Math and Science. Oh, okay. And then um that is how I very quickly discovered I have ADHD. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um undiagnosed ADHD makes it very very hard to study and memorize the 20,000 little things. Yes.
3: Mhm.
2: But, um, but I had also discovered fan fiction at the time. and, like, really, I had always been obsessed with with television shows and books and and mm-hmm. all of that. and And I started writing terrible, terrible fan fiction. Please, please don't ever look it up. It's absolutely horrible. and i I hope to God it's not still out there. But, I used to write this, like, you know, I, I fell in love with writing that way. And I would read these amazing stories by these people that were spending hours and hours and hours of their own free time creating mm-hmm. these narratives from these characters that I loved so that mm-hmm. I didn't have to just worry about like watching them once a week. I could like live in their worlds for that much longer. Yes. And, um, and so when it came time to go to college, I, I kind of figured by that time that I was not going to be an engineer or a Uh doctor and i was like well what do i do now and Uh so um i took the communication major Uh and i just started to fall in love with theater and cinema and i was like well maybe i can be a writer and i Uh I honestly had no way of knowing how to do it i i wasn't i didn't have anybody that knew in the industry i didn't have any context Uh um i just knew that i wanted to write and so um the way to do that if you have no contacts and you don't know how to get into the industry is you start as an assistant in a production house Mm -hmm. way up and so that's what i did so i started working uh as an assistant for a company called S films which at the time did shows like biography um and that sort of thing and then eventually i ended up in research at fx networks Mm -hmm. which is basically the people that track the ratings i don't even know how they would do them now if, you know, but, um, but I used to be, I, you know, we used to track the ratings and then there came a time when I got a promotion, I got an offer to work at ABC as a manager in research. Mm-hmm. And I knew at that point, if I take that job, then that would be the rest of my life. I would be mm-hmm. in research. And I was like, do I really want to do that? Or do I really want to try and take a shot and be more creative? Team? Mm-hmm. There wasn't a, a position open as an assistant to the manager and director in current, which is basically the people that, so there's development and current. And so development are there, they are developing the shows uh-huh. that are going to be on TV and current uh-huh. are the shows that are already on TV. Uh-huh. And so there was an opening in current as an assistant. So I ended up turning down the manager position uh-huh. and taking an assistant job. Uh-huh. My mom thought I was crazy and I completely understand why. Uh-huh. And, um, and I worked there for three years and it was a difficult, difficult job. Um, and I kind of realized that I just was not going, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. You know, uh-huh. um, I wanted to write, I didn't want to be a, a studio executive. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be creative yes. and you don't get to be creative if you're the one giving the notes and just working for a network. And uh-huh. so I ended up going to HBO, uh, and being an assistant there for while I tried to for about a year while I tried to figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get into writer's rooms as a writer's assistant. And I just was not having any luck.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so by that time, I just could not I had call, I had student loans, I just could not afford mm-hmm. to stay at a job that was going to pay me so little.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so what I ended up doing was just being like, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to take a regular assistant job, uh-huh. With a regular company, uh-huh. work nine to five, get my life back, and then write in my off hours. Uh-huh. And so I took a job with a company called Sabon Brands, uh-huh. working for a finance a finance analyst uh, finance director, and it was great. It was for Haim Saban's company, and he took very good care of his employees and I got my life back and I made like three times as much money. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I got bored very fast. So uh-huh. after about three years, um, I wanted to get back in the industry because when you get out of the industry, it's very hard to get people to pay attention to you because you have nothing to offer them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, and and this business is all about who you know and what you can get.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I talked to the general counsel at the time who I had grown close to and basically told her that I was getting bored and I was thinking about leaving and trying to get back into entertainment. And she's like, well, we actually may have a job for you. and um, And they had just... Started a company called Saban Brands, Uh but just bought Power Rangers from Disney Uh and another brand called Paul Frank. Uh And so I uh, interviewed with the head of that department, Brian Casatini, and he hired me as a a coordinator for development and production. Uh And then I just worked my way up. So 10 years later, I was the director and um, and then about two years ago, um, that time ended for me and Mm -hmm. that was fine I was actually kind of relieved about it um because I was kind of I feel like I'd done everything I wanted to do I had gotten very spoiled with uh wanting like I had done tv I'd done film I'd done comic books I had done video games I got to voice two characters in a video game I got to like do help with live tours like I had done all this fun cool stuff and the idea of going back to a network Mm -hmm. and just being current or a development executive, just like, I just did not want to do it. I mean, I, the people that do it are so good at that job, but I I just wanted more. I wanted to create. And so uh, that's when I took the opportunity to try and be a writer full time. And uh, it took two years of grinding and using every connection I had, but Mm -hmm. now it's finally working out for me, which is great.
1: Yes. And before I before we start moving on to how you got into, com- you know, started writing comics, I just think it's so amazing that, like, it, it's, you know, you're living, you, you've grown up and lived in Los Angeles, it, you know, you, you know, um, you knew at a young age what you wanted to do. And you, you had, you really, you know, you, you quote unquote, really paid your dues. And I think what was pretty cool is like, you all say you love video games and you got to do two voice works for a video game Yeah. That's off the cuff question. How exciting was that?
2: You know, it was funny because I'm one of those. I have a really it's so I have a weird poker of kind of face. Like, I don't know if it's like just from my ADHD. I don't really absorb things when they happen. Mm-hmm. Um. They don't. So uh, at the time, it was literally just we needed to two we had two yeah. slots to fill and i was there and so i just filled them so mm-hmm. i don't think it i don't think it's ever it really occurred to me until much much later Being be like hey yeah. i got to voice a power ranger i got to like i got to be in this game and if yeah. i play that game it's me that i'm hearing and that's that's when it kind of hit me like this is kind of cool like yeah. you know for the rest of my life i can tell my nieces like this is me and like they could hear me and that's that's, yeah. that's fun but it it, it didn't see, it, at the time it was about the work it was just yes. about getting it's fun. Yeah. You know, and making sure that we can fit their budget. Yes.
1: All right. Now this is where I'm gonna start slowly uh, segueing into um the dead lucky. So and I love your story. And I'm gonna ask you, how did you get started working writing in comics?
2: How did I get started writing in comics? So I fell in love with comics a long time ago, but when it wasn't until I started working with Boom that I really um fell in love with the process, and it was really impressed by it and mm-hmm. um, it was very much a boot a comic book boot camp for me because we had to work on the entire process with this group and one of the the person that came to write the books for us was named Kyle Higgins mm-hmm. and great great guy and he um through the years of working together, he He and I became very close as colleagues Mm -hmm. and, um, and I just really loved the medium of comic books. I really just fell in love with the process, the art, the lines, the Mm -hmm. letters, how you tell a story in books and how they're so different depending on the writer. Like there's, I don't think there's any other medium where you have so much freedom to tell such a weird story, if that's what you want to tell and to find an audience for. And cause in, it doesn't exist like that in television because everybody's beholden to profits and uh-huh. if it's a brand for a network. It's very hard to get any show on the air. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy to get a comic book out either, but uh-huh. I think there's more and em, people embrace the weird a little more uh-huh. in comic books and, and diversity and yes. especially in independent comic books. And I ended up, um, just really loving the process and and loving how to tell a story, like really falling in love with how to tell a story in them. So when I when I left, I uh-huh. kept working with Kyle and um and I just kind of fell into it. He had uh-huh. asked me to do a couple things. Um, I had a friend that asked me to work to do some books uh, for their company, which actually didn't end up uh, working out, which was fine. Uh-huh. Um and. Kyle had basically had had found a lot of success with Radiant Black and he was building out a universe Mm -hmm. and I already done a couple backups for him and I'd done a mini series Uh, mm -hmm. called The Unleashed and that were backups as well in his book and so he knew that I could do it and so he asked me if I wanted to um, pitch him an idea for Mm a comic and so a couple lunches later we had the concept for dead lucky and so it became about creating a pitch and making the art and then pitching it to image and thankfully they saw the potential in it and they greenlit the book
1: and this is the perfect segue for new for new readers what is the dead lucky about
2: the dead lucky is about It is set in the Massiverse, which is a superhero universe that takes place in the Image comic books. It features Radiant Black, Rogue Sun, Inferno Girl Red, uh, Radiant Red, and Radiant Pink, which you already talked about a little bit. But this particular story takes place in San Francisco, and it is about a veteran who has been discharged from the army after a traumatic incident that has left the majority of her platoon dead. And she has come home to San Francisco where she grew up and discovers that it has been privatized by a company called Morrow, Uh who essentially vowed to turn to fix San Francisco, who had been descending into a lot of chaos and crime and all this fun stuff. And um, but the way they're going about doing that is less uh, democratic than Uh people would like. It's a little more fascist. And so. There are, um, there's a gang called the Salvation Gang, which is trying to uh, stop them, but it's very disorganized and their methods of doing it aren't really any better because they're kind of putting the citizens in the middle of this Uh fight. Uh And BB, in addition to coming home with a lot of survivor's guilt and PTSD, also came home with these electrical superpowers that allows her to see and manipulate electrical currents and uh and energy spirits which Mm -hmm. is energy that people leave behind when they pass Mm -hmm. and uh she sees these energy spirits as manifestations and uses Mm -hmm. them to possess these robots Mm -hmm. that um moro has brought in Mm -hmm. and basically turned them into her new team and so she has decided to fight back against moro Uh, Mm -hmm. because at the moment that's the only thing she can think to do because otherwise Mm -hmm. she has to deal with her her trauma and she doesn't want to do that Mm -hmm. that's what the dead lucky is about
1: and then um all right you already touched upon um you know um bb your your main character Mm -hmm. um um, i'm asking you know you know can you go a little bit more in depth about bb because you know i also love um uh, a little bit of um well, it's um and what i'm trying to go for is because like her parents own a Ch- uh, correct me if i'm wrong a chinese mexican restaurant they right? call the the chi uh, the chi Q restaurant
3: mm-hmm.
1: so are, are you okay if you if you can you talk about bb um like her parents and so forth and yeah yeah the, so her it was culture is important too
2: yeah, it was important to me that BB be, be, be biracial uh, yeah. because I wanted um, that representation in the book. I also mm-hmm. I wanted a character who was Latino because I'm Latino and I, I want to mm-hmm. speak to that. But the care the person who inspired this, which is my girlfriend Sandra, mm-hmm. um, who's a veteran, she's Chinese, and I have been with her for a very long time. And so I'm very familiar with the Chinese culture. and I want yeah. and I feel like they are also, not as representative mm-hmm. represented as they could be. Yes. And, and so I, I it was important to me to, to make her biracial so that we can embrace both cultures, both the mm-hmm. Chinese and Mexican. And in doing that, of course, she has to have a Mexican fam, Mexican parent and a Chinese parent. And yeah. so, um, the perfect way to connect them, I always thought is with food.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I really wanted her Family to have this fusion restaurant called the Chi Mexique, which is uh-huh. Chinese food, Mexican food, and American barbecue.
3: Yes.
2: And I've been having a lot of fun with um, Sandra and other people coming up with these recipes that they serve at this restaurant. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we mentioned the BDA buns in issue two or in issue one, issue two, we talked about duck tacos. And and so we're really having a lot of fun coming up with these little recipes, but they're just little ways of showing that culture in a fun, different way so that Mm -hmm. we're not so much. I think when people try to put diversity in books is all about like this is all they are all mm-hmm. they are is biracial and everything about it is like yeah. this is how my biracialness affects everything or how my mexicanness affects everything yes. and I do everything through a mexican-american person's lens i don't feel that that's my experience personally mm-hmm. um i'm latino i'm mexican-american i'm a child of an immigrant i'm gay i'm a lot of other things mm-hmm. but the first and foremost i'm me yes. and i consider myself an american and yes. i you know i I appreciate and love my culture, but that's not just, that's one part of who I am. Yes. And, um, and so that's really how I wanted to approach that. And so for me, it's, it's a celebration of her culture, but in little tiny ways that people can understand just happens to be part of makes up a part of who she is. I mean, you'll also see a lucky cat and you'll see the day of the dead altar and like all these different things that we're trying to show, like her culture is a part of her and she really, Mm -hmm. um, embraces it. But at the same time, there's also like, that's not what she's thinking about right now. Right now, yeah. she's thinking about her dead soldier friends. And but but we still want it in the book. So you can see this is where mm-hmm. she comes from. This is the kind of story she's leaving. And I really love the, the way that both the Mexican culture and the Chinese culture embrace uh, death in a very uh, the way they respect the dead. Mm -hmm. Um, and their ancestors Mm -hmm. in a way that you don't really see um in american culture Mm -hmm. um there's kind of a fear of death in american Mm -hmm. culture and and a kind of a taboo thing where you just don't talk about it and Mm -hmm. you know um they go to heaven and that's it they're gone you know Mm -hmm. versus the day of the, the you know the Was the Wing Wing Ching Wing Ping Festival for Chinese people and um, the Day of the Dead Festival for Mexican Mm -hmm. people where you honor your ancestors in a very interesting way. And considering so much of B.B. is stuck between the living and the dead, it just made a lot of sense.
1: Yes, that's yeah, is you could see that in the first, actually in both, because I've already read issues one and two. Yeah you know um and i'm gonna kind of go back and touch upon like like you said BB is you know she's um you know she's she's you know she has two you know she you know she has two cultures and you know um i texted you that i'm not text uh, i emailed you that one scene that i love where she's at her parents restaurant in issue one Mm -hmm. and you see that you know the her chinese side and her mexican side you know, and it's it's not but it's just so subtle, it it was just subtle, it was nice. Yeah. You know, so I, I thought that was really cool. Um, the other thing I also have to say is um now I gotta set up the scene because also too, I kinda like what BB's mom um said. Now in issue two, there was like a couple tourists that came in and um you know they're like going one tourist goes, Hey, do you guys have sushi burritos? And yeah. Bibi goes, no, we're a we're a Mexican yeah. Chinese fusion restaurant. Oh, okay. And then and then I think, you know, like away from the, the tourists, you know, BB tells her mom, tourists suck, you know. And then, but I love what BB's mom's response was. And quote, she goes, but that's what I love about this job, changing people's preconceived notion about what they think food should be yeah it's not just food it's just you know i I just love that quote it was great
2: yeah so many people connect to people through food like Mm -hmm. it's it's a universal language of of friendship and companionship and commiseration. you know i mean what's the like the american barbecue a tailgate a picnic you know there's so many things that you know when we go out to brunch or dinner we connect through food Mm -hmm. And, um, sometimes it's so much easier to just share a connection that way versus just trying to talk things out. And so I really enjoy that. And I really, I think, you know, um, both Chinese and Mexican food kind of get this like bad rap, that it can't be high end and the mm-hmm. hard work isn't appreciated in it. And, um, and I really want to challenge that notion because you have, you know, these beautiful complex dishes that come from both Chinese and Mexican cuisine and to be able to celebrate them is always really a lot of fun.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: All right now before I start continuing I want to I have to joke about this um because I if I'm I, I can't remember if it was an issue one or issue two but because the sign because the um the uh, the uh, name of the restaurant there, there was a scene showing the the outside of the, China, the the restaurant there and I'm joking on this part there is a phone number under the restaurant's name yes now is this Kyle Higgins personal phone number
2: <laughs> no <You> know was <laughs> funny is that initially it was actually a regular phone number because our artist is Italian French and and I was like we can't do that <laughs> somebody's <laughs> going to call that number well yes. like you have to make it a 555 number um and he changed it but uh <laughs> poor Kyle imagine if it was <laughs> I tried to name a hospital after him he's like no <laughs> <laughs> okay all right um let's see um let's see
1: I, I I and you know um let's see I'm just gonna ask because I there's also um actually I just um I'm gonna go back to like a couple things I just want to ask is um because BB's mech suit can i say is it me- I mean, like the mechanical suit yeah the,
2: the called- ghost that...
1: oh yeah so now and i'm probably i may have missed it but correct me if i'm wrong so how did she come up with the name i, I kind of sort of know where she came up with the name of ghost but you know was there a, a significant meaning for that the name of ghost yeah
2: i mean um I think you're gonna find out very quickly, so I'm not gonna spoil it too bad. I think, but Ghost is actually the name of uh one of her platoon members that died, ah. and um as you see in in issue two, um she is using these spirits to yes. possess these these mechs, and so that mech
3: mm-hmm.
2: is inhabited by Ghost, and ah. so when she's talking to uh the mech that mm-hmm. who she truly sees as a partner, she is talking to Ghost who is hurt? so you see him in flashbacks there's yes. a bar fight you see ghost yes um he meant a lot to her and probably is her very best friend in the world and yeah. so um it made sense to me that he was the first one that got put in a mech okay for her to help yeah
1: so i'm kind of jumping around a bit because it kind of leads me to because what i loved about issue two or what i kind of got out more of issue two was. Is, you know, we see BB's relationship with her mom, and that's more of a blood relationship.
3: Mm-hmm. We see
1: your relationship with um BB's ex. And please forgive me. I don't know, I can't remember Eddie. what his name is. You know, I, I'm sorry, what was
2: his name is Eddie.
1: Eddie, okay, Eddie. You know, and that's more of like a relational ship thing, but um but ghost is more of a bond of and a and it sounds cliche, but it's more like a bond forged in battle because, you know, yeah, he had
2: in trauma. Absolutely. I mean, um, and it's, it's inspired a lot by, um, by the experiences I hear. Hi, Chewie, Chewy, sorry, Chewie decided he had to get on the, no, that's get fine. On the desk. Um, it's inspired very much by the close bonds you form with people when you go through traumatic events. Yes. And when you, especially one thing that I've come to discover And talking to other veterans and talking to Sandra is that these bonds, um, that you make when you're in the service with these other platoon members, they are lifelong. Uh Um, you can go years without talking and they will still be your brother or your Uh sister. And, um, that is basically, and for her to lose every single one of them is is a very traumatic thing. Uh And, um, and that, that is truly why she is is trying to get through it um the way she is and why she's not quite ready to let them go because uh to have them more there with her after she's Mm -hmm. lost them it's very it'll take a very strong person to say no to that right Mm -hmm. to get rid of them
1: the other thing i loved about the scene in issue two with her and ghost is they're in a bar what i love is not only is he defending her physically, because I remember she tells him, hey, no, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to fight with me because, no, I got your back. Yeah. And he's Also defending, not only defending her physically, but he's also defending her honor because she because I know she mentioned, you know, some creep just grabbed my ass. Yeah. And he's kind of going, no, we, we you know, nobody does this. You know, nobody does this to you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, when you have those kind of even I mean, Assault does happen in the military, but yes. um, but there are going to be those people that love you and are going to have your back no matter what. And I mean, oh. Ghost happens to be that person for her.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He is he is essentially her other half. And uh, we'll we'll get to know more about them mm-hmm. hopefully soon. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, he he said he said it and, and Spaceman and taking it the same way They're They're all in all yes. the time. Yeah. They're, they're going to back up their captain no matter what, even if she makes a stupid decision and punches a guy in a bar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to ask about this part because there's now and because I, I so when she's kind of you know when um, and clarify for me for this because I thought it was one thing but because there seems an issue one and issue two where you know, she's kind of quote unquote talking to herself. Mm-hmm. Is she talking to is she talking to you know ghosts and other members of her platoon? Or
2: so she we wanted um we wanted to throw the audience a little bit the readers a little bit in issue one and make it look like she was talking to the reader. That was yes. absolutely something we really wanted to do. Um, truly, 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 when she's talking to the camera or the reader, she's talking to the ghosts. Okay. but um i also want very much to continue that narrative device where she's looking at you while she's mm-hmm. talking to you because i feel like that is a very good way to get into her head when you are yes. uh a reader especially mm-hmm. with somebody as closed off as baby who maybe has trouble making connections beyond the ones she's already made mm-hmm.
1: and the thing is um what i love about it it's it's not it, it's very subtle it's not jarring it it doesn't it didn't take me out of the story that's what i'm trying to say
3: mm-hmm. and, it,
1: and like you said it, it gets me to see, you know see where you know where she's at or you know gets into her head type deal and that's what i love about it you know it's great because it kind of pulls me in so oh. it, it's really great
2: i appreciate that thank you
1: oh yes yeah and then um before I continue on, do you want to, um, um, let's see, do you want to give shout outs to your, the rest of your creative team?
2: Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Um, the suit is designed by Federico Sabatini, who is amazing. He's an incredibly gifted artist. I think he's doing a lot of really cool stuff for Marvel right now. Mm-hmm. The, um, the artist on the book is French Carlo Magno, who is also amazing, as you can see in in the books and the beautiful yes. arts and flashes yes. that he does. Our colorist is Mattia Ayokono, who is also another amazing Italian artist. He's an incredible colorist, and I think the books uh, with his colors give a really distinctive and interesting flavor. Uh-huh. Uh, it is edited and designed by Michael Busito, who's uh-huh. incredibly uh, crucial to this project and works very very hard. He edits every single massive verse book, and he does it. With a plum. Mm-hmm. And the creative consultant on the book is Kyle Higgins, uh, mm-hmm. who has helped me and reads every single one and challenges me every issue to make sure it can be the best it could actually be. And Sandra um, also consults as well mm-hmm. with um, anything army related and food related. So mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for the team. Becca Carey is also an incredible letterer and really happy to have her on board. Okay,
1: so since you mentioned about Sandra, I kind of consult with you with on food. There's a couple of things I want to point out. Sushi burritos—is <laughs> that a real thing? Because I that, never is, a in... that oh is a real thing.
2: That is a real thing. You probably don't have it in um, no, in Hawaii, no. but because we're Californians and we love our burritos, there's that is actually a thing here. It's it's white rice instead of tortillas. It's white rice, and in the middle is a bunch of fish and avocado and cucumber and all that fun stuff.
1: Right want to
2: crab me! No, yeah, I have to find out. That is a real mm-hmm. thing. Now the BDA bows, as far as I know, are not a real thing until now. Okay. <laughs> but but the sushi burrito is a real thing. Yeah. Oh
1: nice. And then the recipe's an issue too.
2: Yes, <laughs> Sandra made that. Sandra created oh, that.
3: That's nice.
2: Yeah. Because I told her everybody kept asking me about the BDA bows and if they were a thing and where I could, they could get them, and I'm like, well, I don't think you can, but we can show you how to make them. And Sandra uh, happens to be a really good cook and, mm-hmm. um, put the recipe together for us.
3: That's
1: nice. Now, um, one thing I wanted to ask was, and you know, um, how exciting was it for you and Sandra to see your name on the first issue of, you know, of this, uh, of the dead lucky, how, how, you know, how
3: excited were you guys?
2: Um, I was incredibly excited. I, again, it's one of those things where it doesn't really hit me until later. Uh-huh. And, um, and I don't think it really hit me until my first, the books actually showed up and, and I got was signing my books and, um, it was a very busy day that day as well. But, um, but then I went to Chicago and there were people talking to me, um, about the book and how exciting it was for them to have an Asian superhero or a Latino superhero in the Massiverse.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) excuse me and that made me really happy and i think that's when it truly hit that that i was creating something that people were reading Mm -hmm. and um and sandra too i mean sandra is very proud she um she got she has we have all these amazing covers for issue one and so she wants to frame them all
1: oh that's have them all together
2: yeah
3: it's nice
1: um off the cuff question because i forgot to write it in here do you have do you have an idea how many volumes you want you know do you want this as an ongoing or do you want this maybe three or four volumes you have an idea
2: i mean i if i could get at least a year out of this story i'd Mm -hmm. really love that i feel like that'd be a really great arc for bb Mm -hmm. um if i only get six that's fine too but Mm -hmm. i would love to get a year um because i feel like that's minimum what we need to really tell a good story for Mm -hmm. her um and then anything else i get beyond that is just gravy (laughs) you know
3: yeah okay
2: now
1: melissa i'm gonna and and listeners i'm gonna kind of move on um i'm gonna i'm gonna ask this next question and you know melissa so in issue two Mm -hmm. one of the last pages you know and i really love um that you guys have one page dedicated to the veterans crisis hotline yeah i'm just gonna ask you you know please feel free to talk
3: about
2: yeah. yeah, of course, of course. So that initially came out. Um, I did a Comic-Con convention. I did the Comic-Con convention, San Diego Comic-Con, and I did a panel called Mental Health uh, in Superheroes or something like that. It was run by uh, the Dr. Drea, who runs the the Arkham Sessions with Brian Ward. And I was very honored to be a part of that panel. But when we were talking about mental health, um, after the panel, this woman came up to me and she was almost crying and I um, was immediately very concerned. Um, But she told me, what are you going to do? Like you're see, you keep saying you want people to feel seen, you want people to feel seen um, and that you're here to talk about this. But what are you trying to do to help them after you talk about it? And, um, and I was like, oh God, I mean, I'm not a mental health professional. (laughs) I don't know what I can do to help them, but, but I took that very seriously. And, and so, um, after that discussion with Sandra, I was like, well, then like, she has a point, like, can we put something in the book that points people, veterans, especially to the right, in the right direction, if they are looking for help and just haven't found the resources to help them yet. And so that's what that book, that, that page is for. Um, I am not a professional <laughs> you know I can only do so much yes. but if I can send people to people who are then I would be if it even helps just one person then that's all that matters to me
1: yes no because it's very important um and I've got the information and listeners I hope I have this down correctly now it's the website is and it's veteranscrisisline.net or you could dial 988 988- then press one or you could text eight three eight two five five. Now access is free. It's confidential support. It's 24 7, 365 days a year. So if you know of uh, any you know veterans that need any type of help, you you can do you could you know hopefully this this little information helps helps you maybe to help them direct them where to go. So hopefully you know yeah. 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 But I I just want to say I I I don't know Melissa I, I that was like I said that was a very it was really good that was oh, good. Really nice that last page it really was you know just yeah I thought that was
0: really nice
2: yeah thank you
1: um all right um. Melissa, I'm gonna start slowly wrapping things up, okay? Um, I'm gonna ask you, since you've done Power Rangers for 10 years, do you have any action figures?
2: Oh, I have so many. <laughs> I have so many action figures. Um, I used to have a toy collecting problem when I was younger. And then I sold all my toys. So I was like, okay, t- it was very 30 year old virgin. I was like, it's time to grow up. It's time to sell all these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started working for a toy company. <laughs> and it all just, it just all went to crap all over again. So I have a whole storage unit full of toys. Um, I love toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, And I don't think I'll ever, ever get over that. Um, I have a, I'm a collector at heart. So yeah, I have plenty of toys. A lot of them are Power Ranger toys. A lot of Star Wars, uh, Star Trek.
1: Yes. Oh my God.
2: Oh it my God. Inspires me. I, I have, I have some sort of a statue or collectible or toy mm-hmm. that, um, that's part of it. I love Legos. You know, um, one of my favorite date things to do with Sandra is, um, if we go to Downtown Disney because we have Disney passes, so we'll go every once in a while. If we go to downtown Disney, we'll stop at the Lego store on the way home, and uh, we'll find one thing that we can build in like a night, oh, and nice. we'll just put it together, and um, that's our favorite thing to do.
1: Um, Off-the-cuff question, because since you said Star Wars, Star Trek, if IDW or Marvel... Well, let me start off. If IDW... Because I think they're starting a new series in a couple months if idw calls you and go hey melissa you know do you want to do a short story for a star trek one shot do you have a story ready for them
2: um no but you know what i will i'll make up one in two seconds i, <laughs> uh, right. I mean that's that's how it was with power Rangers. It's like do you want to write for power Rangers? i'm like yes give me 10 minutes i'll be right back
1: <laughs> all right now, if it's either Marvel or I can't remember if, um is it Dark Horse that also has the Star Wars license? I can't remember.
2: It's right? Marvel, I think, right now. Yeah. yeah.
1: But... Okay. So let's say if, Mar- okay, let's say Tom Brevoort, he hears this, he hears this interview, he hears you're excited for Star Wars. He calls you up and go, Melissa, do you have a Star Wars story you want to pitch?
2: I, I mean, I'm one of those people that you have to tell me what kind of story you want and I'll give it to you. You Know what I mean? Um, yeah. for me, it's very pie as a sky. I what I love about Star Wars is that it's so full of characters. Like, uh-huh. I will tell Queen Almadilla story any freaking day, I'll tell Leia story any freaking day. Um, I freaking love you know, there are things I disagree with about the new films, you know, oh, um, I understand. but uh-huh. I love those characters like Finn yeah. and Poe and Ray and Rose. Like, I, I will write about those characters uh-huh. any day, like, so. For me, it's more of just like, are you looking for a Rose story? I got you. Are you, you know, I will come up with it. Like, I will look for her, what inspires me about her, and I will tell her a story. I mean, one of the favorite Star Wars miniseries I read was about Chewbacca, and he doesn't say a word the entire time, you know? So... So I mean, you Mandalorian. Look at the Mandalorian and how that re- reinvigorated the Star Wars franchise. And it's about some random random dude, yes, <laughs> who meets a baby Yoda, mm-hmm. and like it just became a whole thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was wasn't even about anybody in the actual tr- prequel series. It was just yes. a random guy. So yeah, that's what I love about those universes. You can you can do that.
1: All right, and then I've got a couple more questions, and I'll start closing up may I ask can you talk about is it a production company that you helped co-founded um
2: yeah it's a Malcolm yes thank you um which just means diverse right yeah um yeah Malcolm tails is a production and development company that I have co-founded with my friend uh, and business partner, Ayani Saima. And our goal is to uh, create diverse content that features leads that you wouldn't normally see um, on regular television. So Mm -hmm. whether it be people of color, disabled people, Mm -hmm. um, queer people, Mm -hmm. any of those, you know, just basically, you know, as diverse different people, we think it matters as much who's writing the stories and telling the stories behind the camera as it does who's in front of it. Mm-hmm. So um, our goal is to create that kind of content. And so that's basically what we're doing. Um, just taking a lot of content and developing it and trying to sell it <laughs> and see where it goes.
3: Okay.
1: All right. Um, favorite convention moment, either as a fan or a creator.
2: Um, as a fan, I think WonderCon uh, or as an employee, I guess, um, and a fan. WonderCon in 2018 was really freaking cool. Um, we did the 25th anniversary of Power Rangers that year, mm-hmm. and um, and then we also did a Hyperforce uh, panel and signing. Mm-hmm. And we did not know it was. We did not know how popular Hyperforce was because it is one of those weird things where it's really hard to track because you're on Twitch, mm-hmm. and it's live and then you have all these people that watch it on YouTube later and it's just like we did not know and so we kind of took a gamble and basically said hey we're going to have a signing at WonderCon this year if you want to go go and we're like are people going to show up
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the line was insane um and it was just so validating to see all those fans there excited about the Hyperforce cast members and that made me really proud and happy um and and then we also had a boom panel that year and that year was The year we killed Tommy Oliver in issue 25 of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and um, and we actually boom handed out the book to people Mm -hmm. and had them read it in the room, and so we got to see the real time reactions of people seeing mm -hmm. Tommy dying, (laughs) uh, being killed by his older uh, by a a, the older evil version of himself from another dimension, Mm -hmm. um. And so that was really cool so it was a really special like i don't i usually you know i have these really special comic-con moments but usually they're san diego comic-con moments mm-hmm. this one was great um personally i guess now in my new role um i really loved uh going to chicago and just hanging out with the massive covers guys uh-huh. um they're just so freaking smart and they're so much fun and they're just such good guys uh-huh. um but also being at power morphicon i think was really sweet for me this year um i was not gonna go because i had nothing to do with power rangers anymore and i was like what is the point of me showing up here like i'm just gonna be that college kid that shows up and hi- we're all, you know after he's already graduated uh-huh. and i'm hi- like what's this dude doing here this is uh-huh. weird but i get but then I-, I was writing the books so it made sense for me to be there uh-huh. um and you know it's been two years since I had done anything Rangers, and so to see that people were seeking me out and remembering me and embracing me was just really healing uh, for me. Considering you know I had been gone for two years and I had no idea if I would ever return to the franchise, so that was really special too. Just the the love that I felt at that convention was very cool. Sorry, Nothing. sorry, oh, no. I'm sorry. I did not mean to drop the pen. I'm sorry. Oh. Nope.
1: Did you did Chewy kind of react?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. They don't like big bangs. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: <Nope>. <laughs> but Melissa, thank you very much for sharing that real special moment, like when you, you know, going back to um power Morphin con, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, thank you very much for sharing that. Okay, two more questions. Have you and your family been to Hawaii? Or you and Samantha, have you guys been to Hawaii?
2: Uh I have not been with Sandra. I want to go with Sandra. Cause I think that'd be really cool. I did take my parents, um, for about four or five days, about 10 years ago. Oh, no. And that was really fun. Um, but I think I'd love to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I just, I fell in love with it. And I don't think I think We spent so much time doing touristy stuff. I think we didn't spend enough time just hanging out.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now any closing words to our listeners?
2: Um, just, uh, if you enjoy comic books, please give Dead Lucky a, a read and support the book. Um, FOC, uh, Final Order Cut-Off, FOCs are so important for independent books. And um, and i really love to continue doing this series. Mm-hmm. So please pick up the book, put it on your pull list, mm-hmm. uh, and let us know if you like it. All
3: right.
2: You I'm can also best. let us know if you hate it, but I'd like that less. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> melissa
1: mahalo thank you new hawaiian thank you for your time thank you very much thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview thank you very much
2: oh no thank you so much it was so nice to meet you oh
1: thank you and and i also wish you all the success with with the dead lucky series now for you know now for our listeners if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader you know please check out the dead lucky issue one and two is our issue 1 and 2 are out in stores right now and i'm kind of going off script right now i've read both issues it's very good it it's um this you know the real true story is about bb and um it's it's a it's a very good it, it this, that's where the meat of the story is it's not about her jump well i mean part of it is also her jumping into the mech suit but it's just how she's trying to deal with a lot of things right now. Yeah. You know? and, and that's what I love. It's the human story. That's what I'm trying to say. It's BB's human story. That's really good. That's, that's what I really love about it. So if you guys get a chance, you know, it, you know, when you guys go to the comic shop, please pick up issues one and two. Issue three comes out on October 3rd. Issue four comes out on November 2nd. Um. I also want to thank Drew. Drew, thank you very much. He's the co-host of Comics for Fund and Profit. Drew, thank you very much for putting this episode together. Thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fund and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for
3: your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys, aloha.